everybody to the Mixed Motherhood Podcast for another week. Uh, today we have a great, great uh, guest. Her name is Toyin. Um, hi, Denai, and hi, Toyin. Hey, hi, Toyin. Hi. Where are you joining us from today? Well, I'm joining you guys from Hinton, Alberta. Hinton, Alberta. I oh. actually had to look this up. I know I'm so embarrassed. But oh it goodness. seems like it's in a nice part of the country, like Jasper, you know, it's close beautiful. to Edmonton, so you can go shopping, you know. How far is it from you? Like, how far is Edmonton? Well, maybe two and a half hours. Well, I would say three hours, but we just make it in two and a half hours. Don't tell anyone that. <laughs> <laughs> but with kids, it's more like 10 hours because you're stopping Ooh, yeah. oh to like yes. pee, get snacks, walk yes. around. I will never forget um, the first time that the four of us, uh, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, uh, the first time that we drove to Vancouver from Kelowna. So it's like a four-hour-ish four hour drive uh, over the mountains. And I will never do that again because every <laughs> 30 minutes or 20 minutes, one person needed to pee, one person mm-hmm. needed to stretch their legs. It, it was just a nightmare. Like, I just don't understand how our parents did it, like, yeah, I know. way back yeah. in the day. When we drove from Edmonton to Newfoundland, and then from Newfoundland back to Edmonton, within a space of about a year, she was the best. Like, she was awesome. Like, wow. she never asked, are we there? Oh, yeah, my she goodness. was maybe two and a half, three. She just watched her little shows, and she was great. I was like, this is great. What do people complain about? <laughs> then I had my second child. Holy oh, yeah. <laughs> I cannot go from here to daycare, which is literally four minutes from my house. Are we there yet? Are you kidding me? Just chill. <laughs> yeah. And my son has kind of figured out like that there's a button that he can press on the, the buckle by his chest, like on in his car seat to oh. like get it loose. But he still doesn't have the strength yet to mm-hmm. get it all the way down. And in my mind is just racing. I'm thinking, oh, I only have like a short window before yeah. he starts like unbuckling himself yeah. from true. his car seat. So tell us about your family. My family. Well, I am married to a wonderful man. Um, he's Canadian. His name is Lucas Sherman. And I have four kids. My first son is um, 16 year old. No, 15. <laughs> You yeah. have a 15-year-old... Okay, for people who cannot see what Toyin looks like right now, which is oh basically everybody besides me and Cookie, you look like you're 25. And oh I'm not exaggerating. I'm, seriously, I'm not exaggerating. You have a uh, 15-year-old? Wow. So, yeah, a 15-year-old. And my daughter is almost going to be 14, so 13 and a half. And my... Second boy is, uh, oh my goodness, now I'm losing track. He's 10 years old. And my last one is eight. So, but wow. you know, just four. Just four. <laughs> just, yeah, just four kids. It's all just four, four kids. kids. So you have two boys, two girls? No, three boys, one girl. Oh, how does the girl feel about that? How do oh you girls goodness. feel in a house full of boys? You know what? I, well, I, I don't really know how she feels, but in a way, I can kind of relate to her a little bit because, I mean, I was, I had six brothers and one girl, just oh, wow. me. So, um, I don't know. It is what it is. She's, I would say she's one of the boys. That's for sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she were, you like one one of the, were you one of the boys growing up? Well, 
Dad, I can't really, you know, I really don't remember much about my childhood, but I've never, I don't know. Well, I know my, my friends normally tell me that, um, I mean, growing up in high school, like I always walk like a boy and, you know, they call me tomboy. So yeah. I don't know. If you look at me now, I'm so girly. <laughs> so so did, you, um, did you grow up in Nigeria for the most part? When yes, you I Canada? grew up in Nigeria for 16 years. Okay. Wait, oh, okay. in Nigeria. What? Oh, in Lagos. Oh, you're a Lagos girl. Yes. So you Lagos. like the fast life. Oh, yes. Chopping money. I tell you, I tell you. <laughs> How often do you go back? Well, for me, I go back at least every, uh, maybe three to five years because it's very important for me to take my break. I love my mental break. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whenever mm-hmm. I'm so stressed, overwhelmed, Africa, Nigeria, yeah, I come. Yeah. Are your parents still there? Well, my parents, surprisingly, are with me. They live oh, okay. with me. Oh, Okay, now let us unpack that because I love my mom and dad. Mom and dad, if you're listening, I love you. But I am happy that we have an ocean between us because I think that they are probably, they're at the stage in their life where all of their kids are, are, you know, they're adults, they're out of the house and, you know, they've kind of passed that stage. So I think they're enjoying very much being just the two of them and things that come with like retirement and that sort of thing. And I don't know, I feel like if my mom lived in my house, she would judge the fact that, um, you know, I can't get to clean every day. (laughs) I, I, I just don't have the time to keep the house as spotless as maybe your house would be. I think she uh, would be shocked at the number of times I do laundry. I feel like I'm a perpetual laundry person in this time. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's good to have the distance because then at least you can lie a little bit. You know, when she yeah. calls and you, <laughs> she asks you what you're doing, you're like, um, yeah, I'm actually cleaning. Yeah, Meanwhile, exactly. Right. The house is a stay. Yes, 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 yes. You know, you're so right. your parents live with you? What's that? My like? mom and dad. Oh, it's um, I don't know, it's really amazing because mm-hmm. you see, my husband works um is usually gonna a lot. So having my mom there for support with the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she that's good. My mother, and it's so funny because my kids they just see me as a sister. So yeah, mom takes care of us, mom oh, and dad. Right. So she does the cooking. <laughs> oh, girl, I'm not gonna say that because she listens to me. She might stop. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are living the life that every yeah. woman dreams of. You have a beautiful family you have you, you're still with your your parents are still taking care of you like that is yes. so yeah. wonderful so do they live in the main house with you or do they have their own apartment no main house main house downstairs oh nice oh, wow nice yes yeah yeah so That's they have a cool. little area there and yeah so you're living every african woman's dream right now Every African woman who lives here, who lives here. Because I would love to have my mom with me all the time and have her help me. That would be great. I think I don't know how much she would cooking and childcare. Yes, I think that that aspect would be good. But I also like I understand that you know, it's time for her to just rest. You know what I mean? I I get that. Yeah, she spent a lot of time raising. That that's how I feel now. Ask me tomorrow when I'm back into potty training, and then you know. I'll probably have a different answer, but yeah. yeah, that's, that's so cool that you have your parents there with you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's hard for us diaspora people to, 
you know, try and recreate the standard of life that we grew up mm-hmm. with yes. um, yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just childcare is expensive. So I'm sure it would oh, be yeah, wonderful it yeah. having them. And um, you can just slip out of the house, right? If you need I to. I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> just bye. Yes, but the only problem is the phone keeps ringing. When are you coming back? When are you coming back? Oh my God. <laughs> it's like being in high school again. Yes. <laughs> so, where did you meet your husband? My husband, actually, I met my husband in Grand Perry. I met him in mm-hmm. Beijing. And you know what? I never liked him to tell you the truth. <laughs> so, yeah, he just, I wow. Never liked him. He was staring at me, and that just annoyed me. Mm-hmm. And then later, we realized that we went to the same church, and that was where it all started. I'm like, you know what? Oh, so you met a man from church. Well, you were in the gym. Well, from the gym, we went to the church. same church. Right? Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. So, why didn't you like him? Because he just kept staring at me, oh. like you know, when they look at you like that. He was just like, like amazing. Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> it's so annoying though. It's so annoying, and I just was like, oh. oh my goodness, like just quit it. <laughs> oh, like say something or don't say something, right? But don't yeah, stare. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you discover that he goes to your church, and then how do you get to the point where you're dating? Well, oh, that's really a long, long story. We at the convention, and then uh, when he seen me, he was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" So I'm like, "Duh, we are both at the convention. What do you mean? What am I doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> so we just started. We just started talking, and yeah, that was. It just is a long story, anyways, and everything Aww. just fell into place. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, how long were you dating before you got married? Well, let's see. Oh my goodness, now I have to go down memory lane. Um, hmm. Maybe a year or two. Within a year and two years. And that is a fast... Um, everything happened so fast. So, so fast. And I was wow. 20. Yeah, 20 when I got married. So, yeah. Wow. A lot of challenges, girl. <laughs> a lot of challenges. I feel like we need to we need to go back to having children earlier. It, I think it will give us no. time to look... No. <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> this is... Okay. For me, if I look at what my life was like in my 20s, it was kind of a mess. Just like I had no idea where I wanted to go professionally. Um, Mm. You know, I wasn't sure where I like I fit into the world. So I don't think that I was ready to have kids in my 20s. I think I would have just been a disaster mother. I mean, I'm still a disaster mother right now, but I feel like. At least I have a little bit of maturity and sense of self now to and I don't I don't disagree, but listening listen to my justification for having children younger. It's just when you have your children younger, let's say for example, you start at 21, you're done at 25, you still have quite a lot of time to gather yourself to get a career going, right? Where mm-hmm. although on the flip side, you do your career first and then you have children, it stalls some something yes. there, right? And you I can will lose your sense that. of self. Um, between the time that you have your children at 30 or whatever um, Mm -hmm. until what now you've got five, 10 years before you go, okay, now I feel like I can go back into life. Whereas if you're 25, like you said, you have no idea what's going on. You pop out these kids, you have them. And then you're like, okay, at like 20, at 30, 10 years later, you're like, oh, 
I still have life in me. I can still do a lot of things at this mm-hmm. stage. That's just where I was going with that. But I mean, yeah. I understand that there's a lot of different things that are going on now in terms of women are working more and, and are getting more into their careers than they used to be. Yes. So it's a different lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. I think there's definitely that expectation that women need to get uh, further ahead Yes. Um, now than maybe... Uh, not even 25, maybe 30 years ago, I want to say. Like, I remember telling myself that um, I don't want to have a child until I'm the same age that my mother was when she had me or older. Just Mm -hmm. because, you know, you look at your mother and you see what a good job your mother did when she was a parent, even though she's probably going through the same, same things, same doubts, same insecurities that that you went through um so I tried that and you know it it was still challenging I think at any point in your life when you have a child it's still going to be yes difficult I think the difference with being older is that there are certain things that you are more forgiving about yourself so for example this whole snapback culture um (laughs) you know people like snapping right back 30 seconds after having a baby you know it's easier to do that when you're younger and I I know with my first child I was basically you know it took no time for me to get back to my original self physically and even the labor was easy Mm -hmm. but by the second child this is three and a half years later for me it everything was harder I was more tired my my labor was horrific um that's a story for another another episode Um, and just even the recovery having two kids at home during a pandemic yeah Yeah. would not recommend Sarah out of 10 (laughs) terrible experience (laughs) but I'm interested to hear from you so you you had your children at 21 how do you think that shaped the woman and the mother that you are today oh my goodness (laughs) that's some interesting question oh my gosh (sighs) Having a kid at 21, I just felt like I was a baby raising a child, right? And mm-hmm. you see, my parents were know with me. My mom, I needed my mom. It's like mm-hmm. the moment I gave birth, I was like, mom, where are you? I had mm-hmm. no clue what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. But luckily for me, oh my goodness, I had this amazing lady in Grand Prairie. Mm-hmm. Um, she, very close family member. And then she taught me how to beat my baby and, you know, just little things that she did really, I really did appreciate it. But again, she can't be there forever. Right. So, so yeah. many things I had to yeah. learn on my own. I had to like, you know, stand tall and just, um, there are sometimes that I just wish that, you know, babies came with a manual, you know, I didn't know what to do. Or know, a nanny. Was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was just forced to grow up. Yeah. So and again, you know, being a mom, I would say it's been the best thing that has ever happened to me. I know, yes, there are some challenges along the way, mm-hmm. but you know what? I've grown. Like, I, I'm not as I used to be a selfish person before, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's always about the kids first. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Was your husband very helpful? My husband, well, <laughs> the guy went to work all the time, right? And by the time he came, like maybe a week on, he does a week on, a week off, and some days oh. we we'll go for like three weeks so when mm-hmm. he came he was tired too right yeah so he just did what he could i was on my own i would say i was like a single mom mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah. that's the life oh, of an oil field wife is uh, exactly 
you're on your own and you got to figure mm-hmm. it out and then you got to decide whether you want to be with you know like this situation like i don't know how people survive for 30 40 50 years with an oil. i personally oil feel like oh, yeah no it's you not have funny. to not. pay me i don't know how much money to go back to that life <laughs> exactly yeah it's yeah. it's tough and i think for me it's like the one thing that used to annoy me a lot was hearing from like family members about like why haven't you done this with your child why haven't you done this and in the back of my, i obviously didn't say this because it would have been very disrespectful but you know the people who are saying this are people who had help growing up like yes, you had yes. your sisters would um you know in our culture and I'm, i think it's similar in nigeria but when your daughter is pregnant the mother will come to the house yeah. and take care of like take care of the baby if the baby is you know crying she'll take care of the baby while the mom sleeps prepares the food cleans the house um most people will have maids you know who come in to clean mm-hmm. wash the nappies because of, of course back then people were using cloth diapers more mm-hmm. um so the burden that mothers faced is a lot different than the burden that we would have faced because of course you're doing all the washing up you're doing mm-hmm. all of the cleaning you're taking care of everybody in that house not just yourself mm-hmm. and your baby everybody who is there um and there's a lot of pressure and so i think that i know that i had a cousin who was just very surprised at how like relaxed i was with certain things i'm like i just don't have time i don't have time I have time but to be doing a deep carpet clean <laughs> every sunday you know what i mean so yeah and i mean i don't know if it's similar in your culture yeah yeah I in mean, the nigerian culture yeah you just said everything yeah So how would you say your two cultures have molded your four kids? More so one or all of them? Or, yeah. Oh my goodness. How do I even go about that? I'll give you an example, actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh, things can be very confusing for my children. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. I'll make it very brief. You see, my first child, when I had a baby, I wanted to do the African way raise him up you know whenever i did anything i would spank him and stuff like that oh forgive me my son but you know i didn't well just, just the way i was raised in africa right you correct yeah. kids you know when you do things wrong but i think i must have overdone it and then one thing i told my son is you know for example whenever i'm speaking to you don't make eye contact you have to look down because that's a sign of respect Mm-hmm. you guys understand that right yeah so yeah. You know, i didn't realize that i was actually damaging him because when he went to school when he grew up and he went to school um the principal had called me and told me that you know your son whenever i speak to him he doesn't make eye contact and then i told him that well it's kind of cultural that you know when an older person is yeah. speaking to you you have to look down mm-hmm. so the other day um was he maybe even a couple months ago i was talking to my son and he wasn't looking at me. I was like, kid, I'm talking to you. You got to look at your mom. And he was like, but mom, you said that it's rude when I look at you. Mm. Oh, my God. I was like, I felt so bad. I was like, I forgot that I even did that when he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. He carried with him. All for the sake of African culture. Culture. 
So it is. Yeah. I just some of it is just ingrained in us, right? So yeah. It's just yeah. Natural. Yeah. How does he talk to your husband then? Was he the same? He'd always look down when your husband would speak to him. Yes, he would look down. He doesn't even till today. He doesn't. He finds it oh. hard to make that eye contact. Oh. He's the first child. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it is so the first like, child. Yeah, the first child is always the the practice room. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but with the remaining ones, you know, we kind of relax. You know, it is what Mm -hmm. it is. But with that first child, and that's the thing. I mean, are you? uh, Were you the first uh, one in your family to have kids? The first? No, I wasn't. Um, the second. Okay. Okay. Because I think it's a little bit different when you're the first person, like the first of your siblings to have grandkids because there is a big expectation there yes on how you raise your kids and you're getting a lot of attention and that Mm -hmm. attention is putting pressure on you to like do things the the right way whatever the right way means to you yes and That's why I say like the first child is like the test run because you're trying all of these different things (laughs) to see what works. And then you realize the only person who knows what's best for your child is you. Exactly. You are living in that moment and you're experiencing it. Yes. Um, So I want to know if there are any instances in your relationship with you and your husband where you have disagreed um, about parenting. Oh man, my husband is the the same. What was that word again? I can't even pronounce it. It's too big for me. <laughs> he disagrees a lot. Like he believes. Oh, really? in, yes, he's the guy to go to. But at the same time, you know, I mean, don't mind me. It's not that I I don't say anything wrong with that. But as a mom, mm-hmm. I'm like, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> so I and then I would say he's improved a lot. Like he's relaxed mm-hmm. a little bit, and that was just because of me because I just could not. And the way he like, what was he doing? Was he just like well, more strict just about me, like when when he talks to the kids, and it's okay. I mean, the way he talks to the kids is almost like, honey, can you just be quiet? You know, just don't scream. Just you mm-hmm. know, yeah. It's just yeah. that military style, and that's good sometimes. But at the same time, you just like, oh, kids, you know, and then they get really scared. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you don't have to be scared of your dad. He loves you and stuff like that. So, but again, oh, yeah. Way was raised to you know military style and well I, well I don't I shouldn't probably say the military style but you know and I really like that I do but I'm just you know I said was he in the military? Bit. No, he wasn't. Okay, but it was just very strict, almost like the African style. I would say very mm-hmm. strict, now which is good. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. because that kept him. It kept him definitely in line, and he, he wanted the same for our kids, which is really beautiful. But at the same time, we just. Oh, so just too much. <laughs> you really do get to see your partner in a different light when you have kids because you start to notice like all of the things that shaped them as a child and like mm-hmm. how they grew mm-hmm. up starts mm-hmm. to manifest um exactly. when you have a child. Yes. And I've talked about this before, but um, you know, my husband kind of grew up with very easygoing parents. Um I'm mm-hmm. not saying that they they didn't discipline. They they obviously did di- discipline, but they were just very easygoing about everything. Like to this day, he doesn't call his parents mom and dad. He actually calls them by their first name. And so when we first started dating, I was like, "You call your parents by their what? first name?" No. What? And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's no big deal. I haven't called my my mother mom in like fifteen or twenty years." And that was such a a crazy concept to me. And I was like, "Look." 
I will need to insist that my children give me the respect of calling me mom for the rest of their lives, whether they are six or 60, because we don't play that game in my house. No. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's things like that, that make you see that, you know, your like the way that you are raised can really carry on into yeah. like yeah, generation does. after generation yes. after generation yes. Yes. if you're yes. not careful, right? Yeah. Is your husband from Alberta? He's Alberta. Yes, pure Canadian okay. with the African spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what though? I feel like a man who was born most Albertan men, if you're born and raised Albertan, they have mm-hmm. that structure. They tend to have that structure. If you're born and raised Albertan, they have that that very strict structure. Whether they were raised on a farm or um, yes, he whatever was raised it on is, the farm. yeah, he was raised so they, on the farm, so exactly. Yeah. That's where that structure comes from. So I find yes. that men are born and raised in Alberta. They mainly have that that very very strict structure. Like have, well, this I is think how this is probably, done. This is how it works. I think this probably has to do with like the work culture. Um, yes, in Alberta, yeah. I think people in Alberta work very hard. And yeah. a lot of the work is, you know, it, it's it's hard hard work. It is hard work, challenging, yeah. and yeah. I think every moment of time is precious. Every moment yeah. of time is dedicated towards, you know, some because, sort of activity. Because Alberta um, is mainly farmland, so a lot of it was farmland for many many years. That's what it mm-hmm. was. That's what Alberta was. So most of them were farmers, and so farmers yeah. are like the most hardworking people you live in. Yes. And I think for like for my husband because he's kind of born he's born on on you know Prince Edward Island very laid back like touristy <laughs> environment um, there's a lot of arts and culture and history like I can see how that nurturing shaped the person that he is today and even with us Cookie, yeah. our upbringing going to like sporting school and like having rules and bells yeah. all the time you know, for everything. <laughs> I think maybe that's shaped us as well. Oh, oh, really? I can't stand a lot. Oh my God, I can't. Alarm <laughs> clocks make me want to throw up. I hate them <laughs> to this day. Tell us a little bit about your boys and how they've handled school. And because I, I'm guessing they look very mixed, I'm assuming. I don't know what they look like, but that's my assumption. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my goodness, it's been challenging for them with school. Yeah and everything mm-hmm. and oh my goodness <laughs> they're kind of ah uh, i don't even know if i should be saying this but they don't really okay. know where they belong oh oh you know what, what i mean say that um oh my goodness my daughter like for example she just has problem wait do you want should i talk about my boys or my daughter or just my kids all in general them. all of them okay. yeah you see when they go to school they always like they feel that they don't know where they belong and say for example they always like, okay mom um i don't i feel more comfortable with this pa- particular group of people than you know our mm-hmm. canadian people and just stuff like that and sometimes they, they had mentioned that sometimes the people make fun of the afro hair mm-hmm. and stuff like that and my son will come and be like mom i want my hair to be straight i'm like kid you're beautiful the way you are and just and this i'm suspecting that maybe people are just making fun of who they are yeah so yeah yeah 
it's a little bit challenging for them. But, you know, again, as a mom, what can I do? The only thing I can just do is, you know, just accept who you are. You know, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you know, just be you. Yeah. Is Hinton diverse? Ah, not really. Not really. Not very, yeah, no. It's just... It's a small population, so you can imagine. And most of the people that move here, like the Nigerians that they move here, the moment they move here, maybe if they like move for like six, they only move for like six months, and before you know, they're like, you know what, I'm done with this town. They end up moving away. <laughs> so yeah, no, not very. It's, it's kind of tough. It is harder when um, you know that sense of diversity is not reflected in the schools that your children are going to because it's yeah. harder yeah. to relate to people if you feel like you don't have a lot of in common and the first thing that i think that children gravitate towards is people who look like them yes. and i think that um if there isn't anybody who looks like you it it can be a challenge to make friends exactly and, um, yeah to yeah. do all of those things. So what are some of the strategies that you and your husband have uh, adopted to support your children through some of these things? Well, I would say really not too much other than just talking to them. And mm-hmm. I say, you know what, when you go to school, you're not going there to make friends. I mean, if you want to go there to make friends, fine. But just go to school, you know, if you can have fun, go ahead and have fun. But just focus on your studies. Like seriously, mm-hmm. and one thing I normally tell them that, hey, listen, 10 years from now, this wouldn't even matter. So why stress about it? Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's what yeah. I keep telling them. Do you even remember what you had? I mean, what breakfast did you have a week ago? Do you even remember? So yeah. if mm-hmm. you can't remember, don't stress. <laughs> don't stress. Okay. So yeah. I think it's just harder when you're a teenager because you feel like everything is either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. Yeah. There's like yes. no between. Yeah. And because you're still discovering who you are as a person, yeah. I think a lot of those experiences can shape, you know, your outlook in life. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it, it is hard as a mother, I imagine. Um, yeah, no, it is. I wish sometimes, you know, when they tell me, mom, I have no friends, and I just, I feel so bad. And I'm just trying to tell them, like, you know, well, don't worry, the right friend will come to you. You know, it's not all about quantities, about quality, but they still don't. I tell them, but they still don't get mm-hmm. it. But it's always good to say that to them because Keep eventually they them. will get it. Right? Yeah. Well, so. nobody wants to feel like they don't belong anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's it can be very lonely to be in an environment where you feel like nobody understands what you're going yeah. through. And even as parents, we've, we spoke about this in our last um, episode, but, you know, it's tough with mixed kids because you'll understand some of the things that they're going through, but not everything, because mm-hmm. you just don't know, you know, how the world is, is treating them, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, true. I think the best thing that, that we can do is to support them in any way that we can and to, to listen to them. And yeah, exactly. Listening. Yeah. yeah. That's a big one. And listen and give them a chance to, to say what they need to say and feel their yeah. feelings. Cause like, then I said, like in, as a teenager, you're either having the greatest time or you're having the absolute worst time. Even if it's not that bad to them, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Yes. Absolutely. But I mean, we have to protect them in some form of shape. So, how you? How long have you lived in Hinton now? Um, eleven years. Okay, oh, I was gonna home. ask. Yeah, it's home now, right? Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. Home. Yeah. So I was gonna say, how did your son? Because your son would have gone to Grand 
to school in Grand Prix for a little bit. Oh, he probably no, he was still in kindergarten. Doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Grand Prix is a little more diverse than say Hinton. Right? Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Where do your husband's parents live? Um, just about in yeah, in Canada, in, maybe an hour forty-five minutes away from us. Oh, so okay. Nathan Junction. So not not. I mean, not so far, not so bad. So they get to experience both sides. Both sides of the culture. Yes, mm-hmm. they do. And do you find they gravitate to one more than the other, or they just kind of? Oh, like, this I, is my well, you know what? Uh, it's really hard to say, but I know that my kids are very much interested in the Nigerian culture. Mm-hmm. So when they try to speak a little bit, you know, they love the food and everything, you know, so which is really good. And they tend to ask questions a lot, you know, mm-hmm. about the tribal marks and stuff like that. You know, mom, when are you going to take me to Nigeria? I'm <laughs> just going to say that I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Nigerian culture is it's very distinct and it's it's you know, it's something that a lot of people are familiar with. It's like Jamaican uh-huh. culture, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's great that they have such an interest in it. And the wonderful thing about it is that they'll be able to access it from wherever they are because Nigerian culture is very much like it's it's permeated our society. It's very much international, yep. if you want to use yep. that term. Um, So that's great. I mean, the challenge for us Zimbabweans is that they're not a lot of us, right? And (laughs) uh, a lot of our cultural practices were erased through uh, colonization. So it's hard for us to develop that kind of like... um, sense of of i don't know that that, like nigerians of of being like like nigerians have right because we don't Mm. have access to a lot of our traditions anymore so it it is very sad and i think it's great that your kids have an interest and yeah definitely continue to nurture that and um have they been to nigeria just one the first child he probably doesn't remember but yeah i think they would love your culture they probably really get quite immersed in it and and be want to be part of it but i think you know because with their father's culture so they're in it all the time so they don't have to ask questions because they see yeah exactly ways with Mm -hmm. the culture they want to know more which would be i think really fun for them actually Mm -hmm. really interesting for them and i wonder i would be really curious to see how your kids grow up i'm wanting to see them grow up now i want to oh you will (laughs) you will you will (laughs) i'm curious to to find out from you have you had any experiences so Hinton looks like it's a very small place. I want to know from you what it's been like as a a black woman living in this community and how your your husband has supported you through some of the challenges of being racially different, I guess, from from everybody. Well, you know what? One thing I love about my town, though, is um, hmm, um, my town is really welcoming. Okay, mm-hmm. so I have no problem with that. Although the first time I came, I was very like, oh my goodness, I didn't know anyone. So I just went on under this bubble thing, you know, for like years because I, well, I didn't reach out to anybody. But one thing I just noticed, that, uh, I mean, when I finally, like, I was like, okay, God, I'm done. I got to start reaching out to people and, you know, start talking mm-hmm. to people. And so I've kind of, um, my town has really helped me in a way that I've met some amazing group of women. Mm-hmm. And that I, you know, actually, when I see this woman, I'm like, I don't even see them as, I see them more like my Nigerian sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't probably know who they are. So it's been very easy for me because they're so welcoming, you know, they accept me for who I am. You know, they want to know more about my culture and stuff like that. So it's a beautiful thing. I don't feel off. 
That's good. Yeah. good. So that's really like I have no problem with like with anything. It's just I just blend in and they blend right in with me. So good. That's, oh, that's good. Yeah, you know, yeah. respect for people's cultures, you know. Yeah. So that's I'm really glad for that. So nothing yeah. awkward at all. That's yeah. good. I think sometimes when you live in a small town, because I lived in a, a small town of about five thousand people, and the only black people in the town were me and the students that were at the university that I was working at. And I think sometimes when you live in a small town and you are a person of color, you feel like mm-hmm. a, a burden to be like the, the person that helps to diversify or oh. educate people about, you know, people from other cultures. And yeah, it's, it's so nice. And I mean, where I was, everybody was welcoming. It was it's wonderful. Yes. But I think it was sometimes exhausting to just live (laughs) because you stand out so much and you feel like you have to be on all the time because everybody is watching and observing you. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I'm, I'm I'm happy that you have such a good experience where you are. Oh yeah. Good friends, you know, good, good quality friends make Mm -hmm. a huge difference. Yeah, it yeah. definitely does. Yeah. Like you said, it's not quantity, it's quality. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you might have two really good friends. You don't need 500. No, right? no, no. Yeah. <laughs> what do you need? You don't need 500. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, when you think about it as a teenager, you thought you were you were better than everybody else if you had 10, 15 people oh, yeah. you know, around you. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't even handle five people around me. Like, exactly, I'm right? <laughs> I am a very social person. I need, and it's funny because now that we've moved here, um, I don't go into the office. I I work from home. So it's been so, so challenging not to have like people at work to like Uh talk and stuff. But yeah, I I am such a a social person. I feel like I I probably have 500 friends. Like (laughs) Obviously I have a small knit group of close friends, but I, I feel like I'm a very friendly person. So yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Those people can be acquaintances. I'm just talking about like quality friends that you would depend on. You just need a few of those. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You can just have people around you, but I don't know. you would give to another mom who is maybe in in a situation that you were in when you first became a mom or what advice you have in general to moms with mixed kids what would you say to them well new moms um well from my experience the only thing i can say is to reach out more you know Mm -hmm. that's something i regret i never did but um, I mean, especially, you know, when you have kids, there's the, or maybe just a new mom, there are some problems that maybe you just keep to yourself just because, you know, again, the culture, you keep mm-hmm. this to yourself. Mm-hmm. It's always good to reach out, talk. And then the second advice is more like, um, just do you. Don't compare your kids with other people's kids. Yeah, okay, yeah. just do you because one thing that is really killing us moms is we're like, oh, this kid is doing this, and why is my kid not doing that? So that comparison, just don't do it. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last one, I don't know what I can say. You know, take time for yourself too, because I know we're so focused with, you know, taking care of others. Mm-hmm. Yes. All this take off. You want to be the super mom. I don't believe in the word super mom. Mm-hmm. Okay, no. You need a break. If it means you're getting out somewhere, maybe going for a night out with other friends, whatever, just take time for yourself. You know, mental health is everything. So I... I really do like that you have that advice to like take time for yourself because I think there's this expectation that African women are supposed to be self selfless and not selfish. And that selflessness is catering to every single person first before yes. catering exactly. to you. And so, you know, having a partner who is able to support you, is able to give you a break, is able to understand when you need to have time off or just even yourself knowing that I don't have the mental capacity to do this today and it's okay it's okay for me not to do it's okay it's a big word it's okay I don't have to get it done you know yeah 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 Yeah. I do what I can and I'm I'm gonna do whatever I can and I just want to ask about your relationship with your husband and not too personal but I just want to know how much of a um, team you are when it comes to raising your kids Oh, my husband is, she likes it, is really amazing. Like, seriously, very understanding. You know, when I have problems, and again, communication is the key. That's the thing. Yes, yes. And, um, I know that, you know, the first time we got married, communication, we didn't really, I kept a lot of things to myself. But now I realize that when I communicate, I get more help. You yeah. know, if I don't say anything, this guy would not do anything. Because right. men you don't know? know. You need to tell them. <laughs> Exactly. So, and then, yeah, I know, I noticed that for my man, like when I have problems, I tell him, Hey, I need this done. He gets it done. But Mm -hmm. if I don't say, he wouldn't know. And then there am I starting taking, then I start taking things personal that, Oh my goodness, this guy is not helping me, but you're not communicating. Mm -hmm. So communication Mm -hmm. has really helped me for him to help me. I also think there's a cultural element to that because I have noticed that in my relationship, I have a very hard time with talking about my feelings and like being able to communicate. And I think a lot of that has to do with just African culture in general, right? Mm -hmm. Women are seen as just capable human beings and any opportunity to be incapable or any chance that you are not 100% is seen as failure. And we've really internalized that. I think I internalized that very early on as a girl that failure is bad, right? Like if you fail in life, these are the terrible things that can happen in your life. (laughs) And so it's very hard for me. And, you know, I've talked to my husband about this too, because he's just very, it's very easy for him to talk about his feelings and, and, and just communicate how he's feeling. And I find that very hard because I have grown up with this sense that, I, can, I should be able to do things. Stay strong. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. And he was asking me like, why nobody can do this? Like, why, why do you think that you should be able to do all of these things by yourself? This is why you're in a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be yeah. able to communicate and do these things together. And when I tell you that I had never heard that, from anybody my whole life like I I just had never heard the words that it's okay for you not to be able to just do everything yourself there there Uh there are times when you can admit that I I I I can't do this I can't and it's okay Mm -hmm. 
And that's part of being vulnerable, which is, again, something that I feel like a lot of African girls are not taught growing up. Like, we're, we're not allowed to be vulnerable in that way. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so, it seems like it comes across as if you're weak. And like Toya yes. and you just said, be strong. You got to be mm-hmm. strong. Just do it all, right? And that's the, that's the narrative is be strong. So communicating your feelings or communicating that I can't goes mm-hmm. against that be strong, right? What's yeah. all those proverbs about the woman carrying the world on her back or carrying oh the family oh on gosh. her back oh or carrying the nation on her back? That bur- <laughs> that theme of burden and suffering and hard work is ingrained in little girls from a very early age. And, yeah. you know, it's something that I need to consciously unpack so that I, I don't pass it down to my child. Exactly. Yeah. We need to because break I don't that. Need to do that. Yeah. 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 Because the girl child shouldn't need to feel like they need to be carrying everything. Because we really don't. We really don't. And you know what? Um, sadly, as COVID is coming to whatever this is, whatever's happening, you're seeing a lot more posts about women being like, I want to leave. I'm done with this. He doesn't do this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. a lot has been brought to light when you're now stuck in this home and you realize that, wait a minute, exactly. if I sit yeah. down on this couch, that laundry is going to sit there for six days because nobody else is going to do anything about it. Like, right? yeah. So I've just been doing it because I'm unconsciously just going, okay, well, we've got to get stuff done and not quite paying attention to, I sit here, he's sitting here. I'm the one that's paying yeah. attention to the laundry. He doesn't care. He doesn't yeah. care that the laundry is sitting there. How is that exactly. even fair? And then now you're in this, what, seven, eight years. Now you want to be like, hey, um, so that laundry over there, he's going to be like, you never said anything the last eight years. What's the difference? But that's what I'm saying. You know it's I mean? like, it's conditioning as a child because, um, and I spoke about this in one of the episodes where I said that, you know, growing up as girls, like we were expected to just learn things faster, make your bed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, put your clothes in the, the, the washing basket, you know, learn how to cook, um, something, you know, when you're eight or nine or 10. Um, and I think that, that, that type of conditioning is starting to happen with boys, but at a way later stage in life, I'm talking yeah. like 14, 15 years old, maybe where they're being told, okay, now it's time for you to learn how to make your bed. But little girls are taught to do those things at an early age. And that's why it's harder for them to communicate when they're older and they're in relationships that they are just tired. And Mm -hmm. I remember having this conversation with Nick where I was just like really stressed because when I get stressed, it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's terrible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Cause I, I'm, I'm usually a happy person. Right. And when things are stressful for me, it really changes my personality. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, your, your partner yeah. notices those things. And I remember him saying, why do you feel like you need to do all of this yourself? This is a partnership. And again, never heard a man say that before in my entire life because I was conditioned to think that I, as a mother, as the woman in the relationship, I need to do all of these things for me, for the family, for the children. And mm-hmm. not realizing that you can ask for help, that yeah. you're not breaking some sort of ancestral um, <laughs> promise or you're not going to bring a, a plague, you know, on the village by asking a man to help you. Exactly. And, yeah. All right, <laughs> folks, we'll take a short break and we'll be back with this week's letter. 
everybody, we are back. And this week's letter is from Rochelle. So she is a black, devout Christian African woman who is married to a white Canadian man who doesn't believe in God. So she writes, we have two children, both girls aged four and six. I would like for our children to attend Christian schools as it is very important to me that they know God. My husband is very against the idea as he feels we should let them choose when they get older instead of indoctrinating them at such an early age. Please advise how I try to communicate with him how important this is to me. Okay, ladies, what are your thoughts? Toyin, you look like you want to say something. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh my goodness, this is some interesting question. Um, number one, I think we should learn to respect people, um, people's um, beliefs and perceptions, because sometimes what we think is right might be wrong for others. So we just need to, we don't really have to agree, but we need to respect it. Mm -hmm. So in my case, I mean, if my husband was um, similar, if we're both similar like that, I would just tell him that, hey, I respect your opinion, but I think it's best, I, and again, this is how I was raised, you know, in a Christian home. And of mm -hmm. course, I want my kids to go to a Christian school. And again, don't forget, I also respect your opinion, but will it be okay? Always use that word. I, I, that word is really powerful. Will it be okay for them to just try the Christian school and then maybe go to a public school so that as they grow up, they can choose which one they like? Mm -hmm. I think that's what I would have said in this case, but... Again, I don't know. Everyone's different, right? So, but yeah, it's a really tough answer. It is for sure. Cookie, what are your thoughts? I think it's tough because having grown up myself Christian and been told you are, you have to be careful. Don't try not to marry outside. Try not to be in a relationship with a person who's outside of your Christian faith because certain situations like this are going to come up. But when you're young, you don't really think about that. You're mm -hmm. like, whatever, I can change him. No, you can't. Um, so like, I think <laughs> for her, um, for her, she will have to, like Toyan said, maybe say, you know, can we please, are you okay if they start that way? Um, and just let's guide them and we have to guide them in a certain way. But if they, if you, if you see that you're not happy with the school or you're not happy with what's happening, then we'll look at the public school situation and try that way. But I think he also needs to maybe question why this is important to her and she needs to question yes. why he feels this way um, and then just communicate a lot more about it before the kids really get into the school system and are now deeply entrenched. Because four and six, four is not in school yet. School six has just kind of started. So you're still at the beginning stages to be able to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I, I think religion is not like having an argument about you know, where you're going to invest your money or mm -hmm. um, where you're going to live or um, whether you're spending Christmas with your parents or his parents. It is very complicated. Um, and unlike those other things that I mentioned, it's not one or the other, right? Um, I think it's hard for people. I think it can be a challenge for people to have to justify why they believe in certain things mm -hmm. um, or why they don't believe in certain things. And I think Toyin is right. Like you have to respect people um, for what they believe. Now, 
I know that for me, when I was dating, that this was a question that was top of mind right up there with, do you want to have kids? Because these are the things that will fundamentally determine how you raise children. Because if you are going to have children with somebody, you need to have agreement on some basic fundamental things. And I think this is, this is one of them. You, you can sometimes lead somebody into your religion. Like they, they can become, they can develop an interest or, um, you know, they, they can convert or whatever for you, but it is hard. It's like marrying somebody who, you know, doesn't want to have children and thinking that eventually, you know, they'll warm up to you wanting to have children. I don't think, I don't think this is something that, um, you know, you, you can expect somebody to just change over. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that if you're dating and you know that this person believes this way, you have to kind of go into it thinking that they may never change their mind. Yes, exactly. And you Your need to come up with a strategy, the two of you of how you're going to raise your children. And one person's beliefs are not more important than the other. Than the you just other. have to come up with a strategy of like, mm-hmm. what are we going to do when we have kids? Because this is how I feel and this is what you feel. And I think, mm-hmm. Cookie, your example is great. Or uh, or Toy, and I, I don't know who, who mentioned it, but you try something and then you maybe you do like one week on, one week off. And then when the, the child gets to an age where uh, they are a little bit more... Um, you know, older and mature, Mm -hmm. then you can have a conversation with them about why you feel, you know, you want them to continue in the church and then have that discussion with them that way. But uh, this is tough. Like, I I don't think this is something that is just one day we'll we'll come to a consensus. Like, I think you need to go into the relationship knowing that it's like a fundamental thing. It's not as easy as saying, oh, one day he'll change his mind about moving to Calgary. It's not (laughs) like that. It it's inherent in your identity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a so, tough one because I think also, I mean, also the other thing she could do is if he's okay with her going to church with the children, then she's mm-hmm. getting her part and maybe not possibly have to put them in Christian school um, exactly. and yeah. just um, take them to That's church. That's a great compromise. Yeah. That's a really great compromise. Yeah, and I think that they need to communicate about this because she obviously feels um, that she wants to have her children to growing up in her faith. Yeah. Um, but he also has very strong feelings. And I think sometimes if you are not religious, you can feel like your, um, your autonomy is being taken away if somebody's mm-hmm. trying to force you to believe what you believe. And that, that's tough. So I, I really do yeah. feel for, I think her name is Rochelle. Um, any last thoughts on, on that one? No? No. no. All right, folks. Uh, we will be back with our news. Welcome back, everybody. Well, um, today's news is about Misty Copeland. She is um, 
a mixed ballerina and has worked to break racial barriers in the world of dance. And she's doing it yet again, this time as an after-school dance program for children of color. It's called Be Bold Initiative. Uh, we'll put all the links in our uh, podcast. Uh, she wants to make ballet more accessible, affordable, and fun, according to the program's website. It'll be affordable, 12-week extracurricular based in New York City for children ages 8 to 10. Um, and it's mainly for African-American children, I suppose. And during her time um, at her dance school, she publicly spoke out against the racism of some dance critics who questioned her body type for being too bulky or too busty. Now, as you know, the dance community or the dance world has always been slender and mm -hmm. um, Caucasian and you have to look a certain way. So trying to include uh, more Black Americans All body types. very, very yeah. diverse. Divisive. So I don't know what your thoughts are. I feel like it's a good way to go. It's a good direction to start taking this, and especially if she's going to start the school and make it affordable, make it accessible. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to go because then she can really include lots of people and get lots of young girls well, who might want to be ballerinas but don't quite look white or slender, right? The dance world, uh, from what I've seen from like my other friends who have kids in it, is it can be really hard on, especially little girls, because there is this expectation that you need to look a certain way uh, mm -hmm. to be able to be successful, as, especially in ballet. And um, I remember the first time I signed, I signed my six-year-old uh, into ballet, I remember reading the supply list and it included things like your, your child needs pink or flesh-colored tights and they need the the pink um, like dance shoes, and yeah. I remember thinking this is going to look so odd on my child because my child exactly. is not white. And yeah. <laughs> the one thing that stressed me out was that your child needs to come to ballet with slicked back hair, like the hair needs to be away from their face. And I remember thinking. Because at that stage, she had, you know, when your child has that awkward Afro stage where you can't mm -hmm. really tie it, but you, you know, you can't really do much. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this every week for my child? Tie her hair back. And again, this is like not understanding that people have different bodies, different hair types, yes. different um, skin tones. You're making, you're excluding a whole bunch of little girls who want to be involved in this activity by having these rules. And I think Misty Copeland is smart because she's realized that there's a gap in the market mm -hmm. and that there's still lots of little kids and that eight to 10 age range is very, um, it's like a very formative part mm -hmm. of a little girl's life. So she's, she's smart to do this. And I think that she'll, it'll be really popular and that it will really, really help girls who don't look like the typical like dancer. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's at a certain age that they start to discriminate or not discriminate, but um, start to want them to look a certain way. Because when my, when my oldest was doing dance, I didn't find they had that long of a list. It was just a strange, for me, dance is uncomfortable. Like it's just uncomfortable. Everything is so tight and they, they look, they got to have all this makeup. It's just uncomfortable for me. So, 
if if nothing mm-hmm. else, I didn't want her to dance because I just felt like, why are we here watching these little girls who look like, I just, I couldn't do it. I really struggled with it. It's just very, very uncomfortable for me. And I know like when I, we, when we were in Grand Prairie, she had a competition and it was, everything was bright pink and the lipstick is red and the, everybody's looking. Of course. And there were three men in there <clears throat> had dance, dance dad shirts on. And I just thought, no, but they were there to support their daughters and it's fine. Like it's absolutely fine. But I just felt so uncomfortable for the girls, not because of the men. I don't think they, they weren't there. They were there to support their children, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure they even thought like, I'm sure people look at us funny, but <clears throat> it was just, it's just odd. Dance is odd. <laughs> for me, I kind of look at it in a different way too. It's like, especially ballet, because ballet is like very white from mm-hmm. how kids look to the music to mm-hmm. the stories, to the, the themes. Um, usually the places that they are performing are in spaces that are not accessible to low-income families. They're not accessible to, you know, black and brown people. Um, it, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable to put my child, who's already so different, into those types of mm-hmm. spaces where it's going to be even more pronounced that she's different. Because you look at those little girls on stage and you could always tell, oh, this girl is not white because she just looks, do you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. I don't mean that yeah. in a bad way. It's just like, it's it's not designed, to me right now, it doesn't feel like it's designed to include people who don't look a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel. It's still that culture, yeah. Is your daughter in any dance or anything? Oh, no, she's not. She's not in any dance. She's more of a gamer and a mm-hmm. YouTuber. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Awesome. We're coming. To, when she becomes a famous YouTuber, we're living with you. Thank you. Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I commend Misty Copeland. I think she's, done, she's doing um, a wonderful service to her community. And I think mm-hmm. that just being able to see other people who look like you in that type of environment, that's going to radically change the culture of ballet and dance. And again, that age age range is like pivotal for building Mm self-esteem. And, you know, I I know that a lot of kids get bullied in that age range as well. So just like building your self-esteem and finding community and being able to express yourself. I love all of that. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a really good initiative for sure. It is. Yeah, for sure. All right. We'll be back with the saddest part of the show where we have to say goodbye to Toyin. We'll be right back. And we are back for the last bit of our show. We want to thank Toyin and Denai for being here today. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And uh, if you want to follow us, we are Mixed Motherhood Pod on Instagram. And you can send us an email at mixedmotherhoodpod at gmail.com. If you want to send us a letter or just request maybe you want to be a guest, um, we would love to hear from you. But otherwise, have a great night and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Toyin. Thank you, <laughs> Mixed Motherhood Pod is written and produced by Nanae Belanger and Kudzai Chimanikire. 
All musical credits belong to Epidemic Sound. Follow us on all platforms at Mixed Motherhood Pod. See you next time.